0: no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details with a new podcast every day of the Premier League season this is Football Social Daily
2: Spurs miss a chance to gain ground at the top as Fulham scoop a valuable point at the bottom. Manchester City get the job done and are slowly creeping up on the top two, but bad news for Brighton as they continue to look over their shoulders. Veteran boss Roy Hodgson is determined to see out the season as Palace boss and his Eagles side take on relative newbie Mikel Arteta's Arsenal tonight in the top flight. And it wouldn't be a podcast in January without some transfer gossip with Man United, Spurs and Leicester City all on the agenda. I'm Niall McCorn and you're listening to Football Social Daily, Premier League news and views right throughout the season with a new episode every single day. If you've listened before, welcome back. If you're new, thanks for joining us. Why not hit subscribe if you enjoy the show? Alongside me today, we have gone fully tartan. Of course, it's the Scottish (laughs) sounds of JP Hughes. How are you doing, JP? Good, mate. You? Yeah, all well. I feel a little bit run down. I'm just dying for a bit of normality but i think we it's all are It's just january mate it's january and that's the sound yeah. of callum tyler all right there callum Hello, how's it going? Yeah, all good, all good. Right, let's talk about last night's football because there were a couple of games. The first one was a rearranged fixture. We spoke about this throughout the week how Tottenham Hotspur were supposed to be playing Aston Villa, but due to a COVID 19 outbreak at Aston Villa's Bodymore Heath training ground, the match was postponed. And as such, Fulham, who was supposed to play Spurs two weeks ago and had their game called off for the same reason coronavirus, they were drafted in to replace Villa. So Spurs versus Fulham took place last night at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. The game game finished one apiece which on the face of it and I think probably in reality JP is actually a better point for Fulham than it is for Tottenham
3: yeah definitely man I thought Fulham played uh, played well last night it was, uh, it was an entertaining watch and uh, probably quite Quite wasteful at times, Spurs, but Fulham were definitely good for the point. I think they can be very, very pleased with that. And uh, Scott Parker, I, 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 th- I always, I always like Scott Parker. I think he's, I think he's uh, comes across well. Yeah. I think he's always got control. I think he speaks well. He always speaks quite honestly, and candidly. And as I can't a manager, hear him
2: talk after a match though. Without here in the streets now, I just can't. It's brilliant, isn't it? I'm just playing the streets <laughs> over the top of my head.
3: Totally, man. I think he's. A, I think he's a good communicator, and and I think you're starting to see the benefit of that for Fulham now. So they would be well pleased with that point. They did really well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you look at the landscape at the bottom of the table, Callum. Brighton and Hove Albion also in action last night against your side, Man City. We'll come up, come on to that game in a second. But in terms of the points at the bottom of the table, they had some games in hand, Fulham. And, and Brighton lost again and they've played more Brighton than Fulham have. So, you know, it closes the gap to them and Fulham have still got a game in hand. So all positives at the moment down
1: at Craven Cottage. Yeah, you would be feeling as a Fulham fan that um, they should be able to get themselves out of this The situation that they find themselves in especially if they put in performances like they did last night it was they had a lot of grit and a lot of determination and like spurs spurs were very wasteful and they they do have that in them but fulham i mean it was quite clear that they were all working for the team they were all working together they were all following what the manager had told them they were really impressive last night i was I was delighted for them that they that they got the goal and then Tottenham's mm. winner was ruled out because that would have been um, that would have been so gutting if you're, a, if you're a Fulham player.
2: Yeah, it would have been an absolute sickener. Speaking of Spurs, they gave 8th tier Marine a bit of a slap in the FA Cup but I'm, I'm sure that that doesn't really mean too much when you come up against the Premier League side in your next game. Um, they're not in great form, JP. Since they beat Arsenal 2-0 in the North London derby, Spurs have struggled to win games. They've kind of drawn the majority of games since then and it's something that Mourinho is going to have to figure out sooner rather than later.
3: Mm, it definitely seems to be a bit of concern for them, and uh, they, one of the things that I find about Tottenham, if I was a Spurs fan, quite frustrating is how hot and cold they can be in the same game. Yeah. You know, uh, they seem to really struggle to keep um, a consistently high level of performance across that ninety minutes. Um, I, we know that the, the team's chops have changed a wee bit over recent weeks, and and and, and Mourinho um, is certainly. Uh, you know, I, I still think there's a genuine opportunity for Spurs to win to win silverware this season if they mm. uh, if, if if they get things right. But yeah, I would be a wee bit concerned about about their inability to, to to stay consistent across that ninety minutes. And I I think probably Fulham sensed that yesterday too because as Callum says, you know, I thought yesterday they played with a with with a belief that sort of almost belies that that their position in the table. But maybe that's yeah. because when you play Spurs, you know, there will be a period in the game where you're going to be on top.
2: I saw a really interesting sort of piece of commentary I suppose you could say on social media highlighting Jose Mourinho's games against Big Six clubs when he was manager of Manchester United. He'd go there with United and win a game against a a Big Six opposition or like a, a really important game and then after that their results would kind of tail off against lesser teams with no disrespect intended. So maybe that is an issue that that Tottenham face which is similar to what Mourinho had at Mm. Manchester United where you know it's not job done once Mm -hmm. you've won a game against a rival you still have to go on and pick up those points in in the games you're expected to win and it's sometimes easier said than done they are six points off the top now uh, Callum with that draw Manchester United of course played Liverpool at the weekend so United are in pole position at the moment do you think that Spurs can catch them this season's been so weird you wouldn't put
1: it past them I had a text uh, from one of my mates who's a big Man City fan as well, and he just said, uh, "I'm no longer worried about Spurs. They've gone back to being West Brom with a couple of good strikers," um, <laughs> which I thought was 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 harsh, but potentially fair after after last night. I think like every like. Every one of those clubs in the top six I'm looking at now has been in inverted commas crisis at some point in this season. Um, Arsenal and Chelsea are still in crisis. Uh, <laughs> Man City, no doubt, will be in crisis again, and uh, so will Tottenham. And all of them will have these these moments. It's it's beautifully unpredictable. You've got four or five teams there on on thirty to thirty three points. Um, it's a proper title race, and and you can't rule Spurs out. But that said. I think one of the problems for Spurs is that they, they have this thing hanging over them, which is the Amazon documentary from last year, where Mourinho laid out all the problems that he sees in this team. So now we all <laughs> see these problems in this team. So when he says that they, that they, can't, they can't put uh, teams to bed, when he says that they're not nice guys, uh, or, they, or they, they're too nice, and then you see them do all that. I, I think like if, you, if you're a Spurs player, you must be like, I wish we hadn't done that documentary, because basically he's just foreshadowed everything they're now doing wrong this season. It was a bit like yesterday when Boris Johnson practically
2: admitted that he was doing a <laughs> job and Marcus Rashford showed yeah. up. But there we go. That's the way the world is uh, now. 11 strange times. Exactly. Uh, talking of Fulham, just finally, before we move on to the City versus Brighton game. I mean, Callum thinks that, that Fulham are able to get themselves out of it, or at least the fans will feel confident that they can, JP. So, are they the pick of the bunch now in terms of that bottom cluster aside? sides? Sheffield United, uh, Burnley, West Brom, etc. Do you think Fulham are probably the, the in-form and the, the better team at the moment?
3: Uh, arguably, yeah. Um, the, the, what What's important and what they're doing, um, which which Bell's confidence, they're not getting beat now, um, which the teams around them are. Granted, they are drawing. And I think they've got a very, very tough remainder of a season ahead of them because they they struggle to to score goals, um, and that's going to be an issue for them. But they're not getting beat, and that is all you can ask for right now. So if they continue to pick up uh, a point here in the, uh, three points here and there, and consistently getting points, turning what could would have been defeats into draws, mm. I think Fulham will be all right. It's a
2: fair comment to make. Tottenham won, Fulham won last night at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in the Premier League. The other game that took place in the top flight yesterday was at the Etihad where Manchester City beat Brighton and Hove Albion by a goal to nil. Seventh consecutive win now for Manchester City, Callum. Somehow they've been going about their business under the radar, which must be pleasing for you as a City fan.
1: Yes, although strange to say that a club of, uh, the size of Man City are doing anything under the radar, um, given the, the scrutiny <laughs> they're frequently under. But yeah, it was it was a very it was a very professional performance last night. Um, if you're if you're going to be one of the dominant clubs in England and Europe, you have to be just putting those games to bed with kind of minimum fuss. Mm. And I think, I think that's what we saw. I I watched it with my flatmate here and he fell asleep in the second half because there wasn't much going (laughs) on, but actually that was very, that was very pleasing, I think. And um, Foden's goal, that one move of brilliance just kind of ended the game. And it was, there was a lovely turn and sort of, pass from De Bruyne and then Foden's first touch and finish and as soon as as soon as soon that had happened you just thought yeah game game done yeah. um, don't need to, to go too far above that you He's know?
2: quickly becoming really important to Man City isn't he JP considering that some journalists said that when he signed a new deal a couple of years ago he signed a deal to sit on the bench for eight years um, that hasn't quite transpired like that has it he's been really impressive this season already
3: I, I love him as a player um, I, I, I've sang his praises on this podcast a, a few times before and I think that he will actually and, and should be just as important to the England national team in, in years to come as he as he will be to City. Um, Absolutely fantastic to watch. Plays the game with, with, with so much freedom. Um, and actually, I, and I know that's something that's been that's been written about and spoke about before. But sort of Pep and City's handling of him early in his career, um, not giving him too much game time, um, should uh, help prevent burnout. Uh, for mm-hmm. him as, as he moves through the stages of his career and i think yeah. you're probably seeing the benefits of that right now
2: well a perfect example of that jp would be michael owen from an england mm-hmm. perspective mm-hmm. who like exploded onto the scene aged 17 18 and obviously foden was part of that I think it was the under-17 World Cup winning squad for England um, that was kind of so revered in terms of the young players that were possibly coming through to develop into stars but I, I mean I remember Michael Owen talking about how he played too many games at such a young age and by the time he got to his mid to late 20s he was suffering he was struggling and mm-hmm. you know I don't think he played for England after the age of 27 Michael Owen and you know you should be coming into your prime at that age so definitely I think with the sports science that we've got now looking after Phil Foden and, and, and kind of picking and choosing when he plays might have been a bit of a masterstroke really from Pep Guardiola Uh, speaking of Pep Callum it still feels that City are a bit unlike their usual selves you mentioned your mate fell asleep whilst watching the game that (laughs) wouldn't have happened whilst watching a City game two or three years ago so is there still a slight not identity crisis but still a slight feeling that City aren't quite exactly where they want to be or is it just the fact that the style has changed over the years or is it just a byproduct of this weird season we're having?
1: I think it's a, a, a bit of all those things. I think the style has changed because it's had to change because we started the season and the defense wasn't really working. Mm-hmm. So he he took a he took a bit of time and, and Pep, Pep has always done this sort of work in progress thing where he'll take a few games to experiment, to try something out, to see if it works and he'll sort of tweak as he goes. Um, and so he kind of did that and then we had that run of, what was it, six or seven games where we didn't concede, but we also weren't scoring very much. And now I feel like he's trying to build on that solid defensive foundation and get the the attacking play back at the same time i also think though he's realistic in the sense that we have a lot of games i think he's trying to pace the players so i think he would have said to them go go and put put brighton away but don't don't feel like you have to get six or seven today because you'll be exhausted and we've got another game in in 24 hours or whatever it is at the moment Mm. so i think it's just smart management of the squad and trying to trying to Keep the energy in reserve for when it really matters, which will be that final third of the season.
2: Yeah, of course, City started without a striker, um, which was a bit weird. But still, that's Pep Guardiola for you. And speaking of Pep, once again, he mentioned in his pre-match press conference that Brighton and Hove Albion are a joy to watch, JP. Um, I'm sure they are, but it's never a joy watching your side lose. And the Seagulls fans saw their side lose yet again. It's, it's becoming a concern. If I was an Albion fan now, I'd be really worried and looking over my shoulder because... If you consider the fact we've mentioned earlier on in the podcast that Fulham have a game in hand and they look in decent form, can Brighton consider themselves in serious relegation trouble now? Because they've had a start, tough start to the season with some difficult teams, but even in the games where you'd expect them to put up more of a fight, they haven't got
3: the job done. They haven't, and I'm sure they'll be even more of a joy to watch when they're in the Championship and actually winning some games. Um, so, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, I think we can, we're, we're pretty sure that uh, we'll, we'll be saying uh, goodbye to Sheffield United and West Brom, which, for my money, I, I think that Burnley will, will get their way out of, of where they are. They seem to have a, a, a bit more steel. They don't quite have mm. the soft underbelly that, that I feel that Brighton, uh, Newcastle have. Newcastle so, definitely. Yeah, so and, and they're, they're slipping their way down the table. Yeah. Sorry, Marley, mate, if you're listening. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I suspect Fulham might be the team that that, 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 uh, that start to build a wee bit of momentum. And for me, it's between Brighton and Newcastle, who will probably be down there with the other two. So, so yeah, if mm-hmm. I was a Brighton fan, they, they can play all the lovely football they like, but that soft underbelly um, has them in real trouble.
2: Brighton need to do something, don't they? They lost by gold to nil last night at the Etihad. A seventh win in a row for Manchester City as they start to gun down the top two. I suppose they've got them in their sights. Certainly it's shaping up to be an exciting midway point of the Premier League season. We'll talk about another game which takes place tonight at the Emirates Stadium after this break.
0: Football's social daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social.
2: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is your daily Premier League podcast, your lockdown listen, as we'll still be bringing you brand new shows every single day of the season. My name's Niall, alongside me, JP and Callum. Time to talk about the other Premier League game which takes place tonight. But before we do, just quickly... Um, There was a bit of, not furor, that's the wrong word, but there was a bit of concern last night, Callum, over players celebrating after scoring a goal, particularly with the whole focus on coronavirus at the moment and keeping players uh, adhering to protocol. We've seen some high profile protocol breaches, let's just say, amongst Premier League players in recent weeks, which has brought the scrutiny down on elite sport. Pep says it's hard um, for, for players to follow the rules in terms of celebrating goals. Do you see his point? Do you think that players perhaps should try and curb their celebrations briefly or is it more difficult than that
1: i think well we're all finding it hard to follow rules that, that do seem to change from week to week and if, for the premier league footballers that's absolutely no different my take on this is that it's kind of uh it's kind of a massive distract like it it's a massive distraction is there any evidence that any player has given a player an coronavirus by celebrating with them. if there is, I'd love to, to hear it because what happens is they go and play on the pitch and then they all go into the same dressing room in the same bus. So it's not really about the celebration, surely. I think this is a this is the kind of story that you get when you're a year into a pandemic that the government have kind of failed to control and they're now because it was the it was Jonathan Van Tam that said this initially and then everybody reacted to it. And I think it's another example of people in power trying to deflect from their own failings. And take a swipe at Premier League footballers who, if you look at what else has been happening this week, have been embarrassing the government on, mm-hmm. on issues that, that, that they should be dealing with. So I, I think this is, a, this is a bit of a red herring. This is something to get to fill papers um, and to fill column inches that should otherwise be looking at, at what a mess Um, other parts of the country and right now if I'm allowed to say that
2: (laughs) well I think I'd probably echo the majority of that to be honest Callum I don't think it will make too much of a difference it just feels like maybe it's to save face a little bit JP just so they're seen to be doing the right thing particularly considering they've kind of had a bit of a slap on the wrist these Premier League stars in recent weeks because of their breaches of protocol
3: yeah, it does feel a wee bit like rearranging the the details in the Titanic, doesn't it? But they, <laughs> they are, uh, I think you use our interesting choice of words there, Marley, which I think, uh, 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 sorry, um, now, which is, is absolutely spot on. I still get Marley in my head because I was laughing at Newcastle earlier, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. but, uh, um, and that is seen to do the right thing. And I think that's important because... Um, yes, there's no question about it. The deflection that goes on to football uh, globally when these things happen um, is something that, that, that's troubling when, when governments try and do that and deflect their own failings. But why not set an example anyway? Um, if you're being asked to do it and it shows, you know, I mean, I mean, let's face it, the stadiums are, you know, some the stadiums are empty. Um, this isn't the World Cup final. Um, when you knock the ball in against Crystal Palace or Fulham or whoever it happens to be that week um, th- th- there really isn't any need to be to be piling on top of each other um, in the corner flag in an empty stadium um, nobody's getting that carried away so I do believe they can control themselves if they if they set out and, and think about it and uh, and I do think they can set an example to others to follow um, if they do that so my take on it is yes it'd be quite easy uh, to forget about it but make the effort lads and, and, and set a good example because it will stand mm. you in good stead later.
2: Yeah, it's a small thing which could have big benefits in the future, I think. Anyway, Arsenal against Crystal Palace takes place tonight in the Premier League. It's the only game taking place this Thursday evening. Uh, recent matches between these two sides have actually been really close, but a win for Arsenal will take them level with Chelsea and Villa around eighth spot. Now, we've already mentioned about how Arsenal are, are supposedly in crisis, Callum, and you know how bad a season they've had up till now. But psychologically, that could be a big boost for them because you know Chelsea and Villa have uh, well Villa specifically have been sort of labeled to have had all right seasons so far and it's been a disaster for Arsenal so you know being up and around those teams in the table might mentally give them a bit of a bit of a push
1: yeah this is the uh, this is the enthralling race for 11th um, <laughs> between Arsenal and Crystal Palace <laughs> um <laughs> do you not still qualify for europe? No, the europe 11th position in the <laughs> premier oh maybe if, you've, if you if ha- you don't have any red cards or something uh, <laughs> no I, I think i think I think there's not a lot to gain from beating Crystal Palace for Arsenal, but there is everything to lose if you get what I mean. If they do lose, because <laughs> it, it will sort of fully entrench them there. I think this needs to be this needs to be the Arsenal of old. This needs to be a top six team dispatching a lower league team a uh, lower in the table team like we saw city do last night um and like united have been doing i think they they've got everything to show um but they've also got everything to lose and and if you're a crystal palace you have to i think you have to be seen this as a game that you can go and win
2: Yeah, I think Roy Hodgson's been speaking as well, saying that he wants to carry on as Crystal Palace manager after some rumours and rumblings that, you know, he might kind of pack it in sooner rather than later. Um, Obviously, the Crystal Palace board have a decision to make, JP, regarding Roy Hodgson. Whether he's the manager next season at Selhurst Park remains to be seen, but certainly with them having an ageing squad, they've got the oldest manager in the division. What Roy does bring you is he brings you consistency, st- consistency, stability, and probably the likelihood that you will stay up in the Premier League. But can Palace fans expect more than that, considering now that they are an established Premier League club, and will a change of manager perhaps bring that for them?
3: Yeah, I think they should. You know, it comes down to your ambition as a club, really, doesn't it? Um, are you, you know... If your palace at the moment and, and Hodgson extends that contract, you might never go on uh, to achieve anything great. But by the same token, you, you know you 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 probably never have a disaster either. Um, so well you'll never, never pick up silver where you're not going to get relegated is that enough? It wouldn't be for me no matter what team I supported so I think mm-hmm. having been in the Premier League for so many years um, and they've the, got you know, the, the, a good backing a good following a good support Crystal Palace I would certainly be looking for more ambition and, and unfortunately for, for Roy Hodgson uh, lovely fella great track record all the rest of it good career um, That I, I would want to see somebody more exciting uh, come in there some the younger fresh ideas and uh, let's take a chance lads and see if we can actually achieve something
1: The thing they need to watch out though is that they don't become Stoke who are the kind of (laughs) for me the defining example of clubs that get to exactly where Crystal Palace are in the Premier League Mm -hmm. kind of lower top half uh, kind of up maybe like 11th, 12th and they sort of have a few seasons there and they do have a complete identity crisis and they all want to then become Leicester and I think Leicester was like a Black Swan event not going to happen all the time so you have to so what Stoke did was buy a bunch of stars that played in the Champions League, got rid of the manager and then went down. Yeah. Um, and then you had Wigan as well, who sort of reached for the stars, got to that FA Cup final the, the same season that they uh, that they got relegated. So they mm. can go; it can go one of two ways for Palace, I think.
2: Happened to Pompey, my team, very yeah. famously. You know, we mm-hmm. spent loads mm-hmm. of money on players and won the FA Cup. And then all of a sudden the plug was pulled from above and everything completely imploded. And we're still down in the bottom two divisions. We've been there for... You know, seven or eight seasons now, so it is it is a bit of a slog, and it is a risk, especially in the, in the modern financial climate with the things like coronavirus and lack of matchday income and stuff like that. We talk about old squads, um, but no one is as old as Kazuyoshi Miura, who is 53 years old, plays for Yokohama in the Japanese league. He signed a contract what, what extension a link, this week. What an absolute legend! <laughs> He's still playing at 53. I'll absolutely love it. Um Crystal Palace, in terms of their on the field antics, regardless of, of ages and stuff like that JP I mean if you look at the league table they're above Wolves and they're Mm. having a better season than Wolves Um, if they beat Arsenal they'll go above Arsenal in the league too so is that just kind of solidifying what we mentioned about Hodgson and Palace earlier on that they're, they're always there in the middle of the table but they're too good to go down and they're probably not good enough to push for Europe
3: Absolutely man, you look at the table and there's sandwich between Leeds United and Wolves, two teams that everybody is full of praise, uh, for and, and excitement about and that yet there's Palace sat right in between the two. Uh if they were to get a win tonight, I I, I think that uh, that puts them right into contention, albeit early in the season, or, or, or kind of midway point in the season for, for the for the European places. I know I made a joke about that. Um, mm. But if they were to beat Arsenal tonight, they're genuine contenders there. And and I think that only emphasises the importance of the game tonight, because if Arteta was to lose to Palace tonight, uh, which there's every possibility they could do, it almost wipes out all the good work that's gone before it, and um, because everybody was straight back on his case again. So it's a huge game tonight, and if I was Palace... Um, I see this one almost as a a wee bit of a free kick at the ball, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's no real pressure on them to do it, nobody will think badly of them if they don't win, but there's every chance they might.
2: Arsenal versus Crystal Palace at the Emirates Stadium tonight in the Premier League. Of course, we'll have a full match report of that one available on the sport-social.co.uk website once the game has finished. And also you can find us on your smart speaker, whether it's Amazon Alexa or Google Home. All you need to do is ask your device to open Sports Social shortly after the full-time whistle. And you'll hear a match report for that game if you didn't manage to catch it on the telly. Time for another quick break now and afterwards we'll be discussing transfers because of course it is the January window.
0: Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social.
2: Welcome back to Football Social Daily, time to talk transfers now and we'll start with Manchester United where there's been a departure and possibly another couple of departures to take place over the next week or so. We're already halfway into the January transfer window which is unbelievable really because we've not really seen much movement but there was an outgoing uh, from Old Trafford yesterday, Timothy Fosu Mensah has left the club. Um, considering they're top of the league, JP, they do need to kind of get rid of some of their squad because they do have a massive group of first-team players. Uh, Fossi Mensah's now left, but I'm thinking of the likes of Marcus Rojo, Phil Jones, Jesse Lingard, Diogo, Dallo, Pereira. Some of these players
3: are, of course, on loan, but they're all mm-hmm. still on the books. Long overdue, I think. Um, if you probably looked at the at the, at the players you mentioned, you could probably make a, a if they were in form a fairly decent uh, lower half of the table Premier League team from the, from the amount of uh, talent and players that United have sitting doing nothing, um, and have a, or, or certainly a, a top end Championship team anyway. So I think it's long overdue. Um, I, I think it will do the club as a whole good to get all that dead weight uh, and, and dead wood out. Um, but then the, you've obviously got the tricky uh, task of who do you replace them with and make sure that you've got to depth should injuries start to come their way. But you know, I, I, I make no apologies for referring back to, to the Alex Ferguson era um, and the success that he had and knowing how and when to constantly recycle his squad um, and ensure that the, if you like, the um, supporting cast from the starting eleven uh, are always able to come on and make an impact. And, uh, and that every player within that squad uh, pulled their weight and made a contribution. Um, I'm not saying that uh, that everyone can, can, can find that balancing act as well as Ferguson could, but United certainly have a responsibility to do it because there's an awful lot of dead weight there.
2: I think that's a really good point, JP, because... I'm just thinking back to those Alex Ferguson days. And if you think about those players that were the supporting cast, as you say, even when they left the club, they went on to play for some good sides and played at a good level. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the likes of Diego Forlan, who ended up playing for Atletico Madrid and scoring some goals over in La Liga. And there's other examples of that too, where, you know, although they might not be at the level of Manchester United, they still went on and forged good careers, which shows just what good players yeah. they are. Not quite sure United are at that level right now. I can't see Marcus Rojo going over to. I don't know, into Milan or Bayern Munich or something. So maybe that's a good point to be made there. Uh, Mainly departures to be talked about on today's transfer section of the podcast. Now to zip down to Leicester, where Islam Slimani, who was once a Leicester record signing, has left the club and joined Olympique Lyon in France. I mean, for all their good recruitment, Callum, we've spoken about how Leicester have replaced really well. Was this a bit of bad business from the Foxes? Uh, How soon do they need to find a decent replacement for Jamie Vardy? Because I imagine Slimani was signed with a vision to possibly working with Vardy or replacing him over the years
1: yeah it's when you've got a player like Vardy it's and Man City have the same problem don't they with Aguero it's kind of a, a race against time how soon can you get someone in before they kind of eventually move on it's 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 funny actually like you mentioned Islam Salmani he's made almost no impact at, at Leicester I did, wasn't even aware that he played for them to be honest but and then you mentioned all those names <laughs> at Manchester United and I always think like when when you're talking about the Deadwood that sort of accumulates at a club, every one of those names has been a new was a new dawn was going to solve all their problems, especially with United, and it shows. Sometimes I think it's a symptom of the lack of joined up thinking that football clubs have, where they just constantly constantly look to fix the problem, but they don't. there's no there's no like considered approach to how players leave, to how we refresh talent. Um, Leicester, you're right, have done it very well. Um, how long can Jamie Vardy survive on what is it? that he, has like skittles and port with Lucasid. Um, I mean, it's it's working so far. Um, do they still have Ian and, and some of these players?
2: Yeah, I think Ian is still there, but I guess it kind of underlines yeah, the point, yeah. doesn't it, Callum? That without
1: Vardy, I mean, what what are they mm. relying on? Mm. Yeah, exactly. So. They, they're going to have to um, they're going to have to figure that out. And I wonder, you wonder with a club, the size of Leicester, how obviously they won the league. They're in the they're in the top four. How big a draw is that from abroad? Um, and how much do they have to look at home as well? It'd be mm-hmm. interesting to see what what level of player they're able to attract. I think.
2: Islam Slimani, once a record signer for Leicester, has left to join Lyon in Ligue 1. Um, final one we're going to talk about just quickly, JP. Spurs are currently chasing Real Madrid centre-half, Adair Militao, who's 23. Uh, he was formerly a Benfica. He was attracting Premier League interest a, a couple of seasons ago. Everton were linked. Uh, Tottenham were linked then as well. Um, Jose Mourinho is said to be quite keen. So, I mean, that's always high praise for any player when Mourinho's interested in you. So, do you think Spurs could do with another centre-back?
3: Uh, if he's got pace, yeah. Um, I I must confess to knowing very little about him Um, apparently he's only played three times this season um have he, been following
1: him since his Sao Paulo days So <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's definitely football man uh, <laughs> really. uh, and you know uh, at six foot one if he's got pace if Mourinho rates him uh, I wouldn't hold the fact that you're fourth choice centre half at Real Madrid against anyone because that, that club is crackers absolutely bonkers and and, uh, and just seems to um, make bizarre decisions time after time so if he's got pace and, uh, and he's got that bit of steel um, and he's a bit of uh, you know he knows how to be a wee bit naughty, which we know that Josie likes. Um, and I'm pretty sure that Josie wouldn't be looking at a centre half who didn't know uh, a few of the the darker arts of the trade of playing in defence. Then, then then it could be a good acquisition. Um, interestingly, one thing I did I did pick up on is that uh, whilst they, they they could do with that extra centre-half, especially if you're, you're using uh, a midfielder like Dyer at centre-half, who I think does well in there, is that actually only City have conceded fewer than Tottenham in the top six. Um, so whilst uh, there's definitely need there, they're not doing too badly.
2: No. OK, well, that rounds up our transfer chat for today and also rounds up today's Football Social Daily. Cheers, JP. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much, Callum. Go and find some more gems on Football Manager. (laughs) Tell us (laughs) us about them in three years' time. Um, Text Josie and let them know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you won't ever miss an episode of the podcast. As I say before, new shows every single day of the season, including tomorrow. So we'll see you then.
0: Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sport Social.